I'm a card-carrying basing at this point. Ben Alomar, Director of Sports Analytics at ESPN. You stood next to Big Pop, you'd be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness of sports. Rick Peterson, longtime pitching coach for the major leagues. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. Welcome to this week's edition of the Wharton Moneyball Postgame Podcast, your crash course of the major themes from our two-hour program, Wharton Moneyball, which you can hear live on Sirius XM 111 every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. I'm your host, Professor Adi Weiner. I'm a co-host, collaborator, and a professor of statistics at the Wharton School of Business. And I'm here to break down the top takeaways from this past week's show. Actually, this week featured two guests. One was a a recorded interview live from the convention center in Houston in the week before the Super Bowl with the general manager of the Houston Astros, Jeff Luno. And Jeff had some wonderful insights, which he'll be sharing with us a little later. And we also had a nice discussion with Jeff Ma. Jeff Ma is a famed MIT Blackjack team member. And it was featured in the book 21 and the movie 21. And he's now the director of analytics at Twitter. So he discussed some interesting thoughts he had about the football game, the Super Bowl, and some other interesting topics. So let's go to our first clip. This is part of a discussion with Jeff Luno. How much contact do you have with the manager in terms of signing players, drafting? That used to be the manager's job, too. Yeah, absolutely. Back in the day, the manager was the GM, and the GM was right. just some, some executive who pushed paper around. Right. Um, and now it's the GM who seems to really run the team. It's a big deal. But the manager, of course, is still the manager. Right. So how does that, does the manager have a lot of input on, on, on who you're signing and for, trading? And for me, it's important because, well, first of all, A.J. Hinch was an assistant general manager. He was, uh, he's worked in the front office before in various capacities. He's super smart and he knows the industry really well. Uh, I keep him abreast of everything that we're thinking about doing. He has input. He knows players from a different perspective. He has a different network of getting information. And so I, I incorporate him before we make any decision. Um, he's almost like having a, an additional assistant GM, which is wow. terrific. Wow. Likewise, if he's thinking about tinkering with the lineup, um, it's his lineup to make every day, and he's the one that makes all those decisions. But um, he'll consult me, and we'll talk about it after games, and he'll always ask my opinion. Uh, do you think I should have done this in the sixth inning? Of course, I don't really tell him at that point. I'd rather wait until the following day or maybe next week because you know, if we lost a game, it's not, it's not the appropriate time to necessarily second-guess any decisions. But... Um, we do have a good relationship. It's, it's, it's really important. I've seen good ones. And I've seen bad ones in our sport. And having a good relationship between the general manager and the field managers is critical. So that was an inter- interesting discussion with Jeff. Um, I was recalling some of my memories from back as a child when Billy Martin was the manager of the Yankees. And when Billy Martin was brought to a team, what you really were inviting is a complete remake, an overhaul of your team. He not only had all playing decision, field decisions, but he seemed to also have personnel decisions. And that's why I was referring to this mixing of the GM role and the manager role into one person, and that seems to be separated. My take on the field manager's role is uh, a little bit mixed. I obviously, you know, never been in that role, but making a lineup is hardly an important or consequential task. Pitching decisions, on the other hand, is a rather important one, I think, that has become more prominent recently. So let's go to a second clip from Jeff. What are you doing with yourself? What does a general manager do in February? 
We're busily preparing for spring training. We have Two weeks a, a that, couple right? players still left in the arbitration process. Okay. We're preparing for all of our meetings. We have a brand new, gorgeous spring training facility that's coming online Where is in, in West Palm Beach. We're okay. sharing it with the Nationals. Okay. We got construction here at our stadium here. Our center field's coming in. Okay. So there's there's a lot happening, and we also are keeping tabs on the rest of the free agent market. There's more free agents still unsigned this year than there have been in years past. Okay. Uh, I think the old men, people don't really want to hire them. That's well, the, the young, the analytics have said, I don't know. There's still, some good, the there's still some good value out there, so <laughs> we're, we're keeping an eye on it. We're, you know, preparing for spring. There's, there's a lot that goes into preparing for spring training. It's, it's uh, the only time of the year where we have all of our baseball operations folks mm. in the same place and all of our players in the same place. So, we, it's, it's, it, you know, it's nice. I can't wait for it to get going. No kidding. Spring trading has arrived, and uh, we'll be watching carefully to see which teams sign whom, particularly some of those free agents, those aging ones that I was referring to. I think one of the things that we've discovered about baseball players is the young crop has much more value than we used to think, and therefore the value that can be earned or garnered or otherwise obtained by spending a lot of money on an elderly baseball player, we're talking someone in their early 30s, um, may not be quite as valuable as it once was or once thought to be. Let's hear another clip from Jeff. One way in which you think you're better as a, as a professional baseball executive because of your non-baseball experience. I think when you talk about player evaluation there's a lot that goes into it you've got scouts evaluating players based off of their experience you've got the number crunchers evaluating players based off of what they see and then it really is uh, the economics role of how do you take the output from the scouts and the analysts and turn it into dollars and cents and you need to understand the market you need to understand supply and demand you need to understand a lot of things uh, risk profile of your organization mm -hmm. cash flow valuations all of that and those fundamentals are, are really similar to a lot of other businesses, and being able to incorporate that thinking has been very beneficial for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. When did you first think you might want to apply that thinking to baseball? When I was at Penn, I thought I loved baseball and I'd love to be in sports, whether it was football, baseball, basketball. I did wrote you? a couple letters, one to Peter O'Malley, because he had gone to Penn. Okay. Figured, why not, an alumni. Did you play any baseball? Never or? heard back. Not at Penn, I didn't. No. I played uh, in high school. I wasn't very good, but mm -hmm. I loved it. Huh. Um, I did join a, uh, started a fantasy baseball league when I was at Penn, and this is back in the 80s when the- Rotisserie. Rotisserie <laughs> leagues were just getting started. So right. I could tell you every prospect in every organization back then, but okay. I didn't think I'd work in the industry. Followed it closely when I was at Kellogg for Business School. I wrote a paper on the economics of baseball, and I actually mm. wrote a paper about how the Chicago Cubs needed to change their strategy in order to okay. compete consistently. Uh, Only they, took them 20 years to They didn't read my paper, <laughs> but uh, Theo and Jed uh, certainly have done a great job. Mm -hmm. um, and it really wasn't until after Michael Lewis wrote the book Moneyball mm -hmm. that I received a phone call from uh, the DeWitt family, and they asked me, to come out and have a conversation. They had um, looked at what was going on in the industry. They wanted to bring someone in with business and technology background. So there's a lot of really interesting information from Jeff. Jeff, of course, 
has been in baseball for quite some time now, but he didn't start in baseball. He got his start at the University of Pennsylvania. He was a an undergraduate. He was part of the M&T program, our management and technology program, a, a very elite, intensive program for freshmen and uh, undergraduates. And he began in management. He didn't have a career in baseball. And one of the things that Jeff has brought to the Astros, which I think has had a tremendous impact, is modern management techniques. Um, knowledge of the importance of technology and, of course, data analysis. And we've seen great success from the Astros, and we wish them future success. So our next guest was Jeff Ma. Jeff Ma was an MIT student, and as a student, he was part of the famed MIT Blackjack team, which has been memorialized in several books. And uh, he was part of the movie that was produced and made that team quite famous. Today he is the director of analytics at Twitter, and here is Jeff talking about sports analytics. Jeff, you've got a good view to look around the sports landscape, you know, beyond just football. Where do you think sports analytics is making the greatest contribution right now? Where do you think the biggest edges are to be had from a team who really deploys sports analytics? Well, that's two completely different questions. So the first question you asked is where is it making the biggest inroads? And I, I think it's in the NBA. Um, I think that the, the place, the real, the real test and, and sort of like a lot of us that have been you know, involved in this, and, and I've been involved in this tangentially for, what, 15 years or something like that. Um, I think the biggest, you know, we always talked about when, when sports analytics was, was influencing on-field decision-making, on-field strategy that was going to be sort of the moment where you knew it, it had really reached the mainstream. And you see that in the NBA, obviously. You see, you know, this is a few years now um, that this has been happening, but you see people valuing the corner three. I mean, the corner three is a perfect example of um, a higher expected value shot. It's yep. closer, they make it with a higher, but teams that not only shoot a lot of corner threes, but teams that actually understand to defend the corner three. I mean, from a strategy standpoint, NBA teams used to rotate off of the corner three for help. Uh, and now they know not to. Now they know to stay at home on that. Um, and, and you see the, the NBA, like, pace and space. You see all these different things that NBA teams have figured out, which were all analytically based. And, you know, the, the organizations that, that are really working are when the front office and the coach and the, the um, everyone is all aligned around analytics. So I think that's the, the place where you're seeing it have the biggest influence. Uh-huh. I think the place where it still has the most opportunity is in the NFL. And what the reason there's opportunity is because generally I think it's still like, just look at what we saw in the Super Bowl. Um, just look at what we, you see all the time in every regular season game. It, it's not influencing on-field decision-making nearly as much as it should. That is one of my favorite summaries. Um, The great question by Cade, which was posed to Jeff, which of the sports has analytics had the biggest impact and which sport is there still the biggest competitive advantage to the team that uses it? And uh, Jeff made a distinction between those two questions. Basketball is the sport for which analytics have had the most impact on the way the game is played. And I'll I'll throw in something that, that wasn't mentioned Analytics has had not so much of an impact on baseball in terms of the way the game is played, but in the way the game is kind of managed, particularly on the personnel level. We have seen, of course, shifts, and that's come about more recently, but for the the sport for which analytics is the oldest and most mature, it really hasn't had an enormous impact on the way the game is played. 
basketball is the sport for which analytics has had the biggest impact. It's really revolutionized the way the game is played, and you really won't even recognize it. Um, and that, of course, is the three-point shot and the focus on creating a an offense and defenses that can either create them or defend against them. Football, as Jeff pointed out, is the sport for which there's the greatest opportunity. You only have to watch football for a short amount of time to realize that the on-field decisions seem to not reflect the basic understandings that analysts have produced over the last 10 years. Um, Cade, of course, has done seminal research on drafting. They seem to not get that. And there's been lots of people who have written about fourth downs and, and play calling, and there seems to be a big gap between what is done on the field and what we statisticians, mathematicians, analysts have to say. So that was a, uh, a nice quote. Let's go to the next quote from Jeff. Jeff, one more question for you as we're kind of dissecting Pat's fans. What was it like when, and I'm asking Shane as well, he's, he's, a, he's a diehard also, 28-12, and so it's kind of, you can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. A lot of fan bases would have had that glimmer of hope, it would have had that, oh, this isn't going to happen. And then it's 28-20, and now you can really see it. A lot of fan bases would have been, oh, this is going to be so painful, we're not going to quite get there. Is it the case that being Pats fans and having this history of getting it done and having Brady on your side, did you have this strange confidence that it was actually going to get done? Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I mean, to a certain extent, um, Yes, though indirectly. I mean, I, I feel like I've never been a confident Pats fan, um, but you can look at the Atlanta Falcon, Falcons. Uh, what, what the Pats have done historically was definitely on the Falcons' mind. They were, they were. It looked like a funeral over on that sideline. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave me extra hope because it mm-hmm. looked the, the Falcons looked shell shocked. <laughs> so that that's yeah. you know, I, I didn't have a lot of faith. I'll be honest. Like, I, it's not that I gave up or anything. Like, people said, "Oh, did you give up?" And it's like, no, I'm not going to stop watching the Super Bowl. So I'm like, continuing to watch and continuing to hope. But the two two point conversions really for me were the biggest thing. I, mm-hmm. I thought there was a good chance that they could, you know, get down there. And this is like the the whole idea. If you bring this back to probability, right? I mean, like, I'm fine with having four plays for them to get ten yards all the way down. But one play for them to get whatever two three yards—I forget yeah. now where they do the two-point conversion from—that that to me is is was the reason that I was worried. I mean, they had to get two of those, right? And, and those are essentially much more coin flip kind of moments. Those two-point conversions, yeah. as opposed They're to a drive where you've got you know you know m- multiple Absolutely. tries essentially. Well, there you have it. That concludes another edition of the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. This week we had terrific, well-known guests, Jeff Luno and Jeff Ma. And, of course, you want to hear the full show. It's available for download on SoundCloud and on the Apple Store under podcasts. And if you want to listen to the show live, you can do that on Wednesday mornings, 8 a.m. on Sirius XM 111. And it is also replayed several times throughout the week. Again, Sirius XM 111. Join us next week for another edition of the Wharton Moneyball Post Game Podcast. And until then, enjoy your sports, enjoy your statistics. Mm-hmm.